Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Actually, it's not just going to be me that's sharing this morning, but we'll come to that a little bit later. But today is the 4th of November, which is IDOP Day. And IDOP is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Now, the Persecuted Church, or the name of the Persecuted Church, is given to the collective group of any believers or churches where people suffer in order to, or don't have freedom in their expression of their worship to God. So, yeah, and uh, there's about 215 million of them around the world in that. Um, And so today is the day of prayer, and we will pray for them today, this morning. We'll spend a couple of, some minutes just looking at some factors around the, the persecuted church. Then we'll hear from one of us who actually lived in a country where religious freedom was restricted, one amongst us, of his, his experiences, um, and then spend some time praying, and then I'll have just have some thoughts after that. But okay. You're born in Nepal, and your wife is South, South Korean. You become residents of New Zealand, but have felt the call to serve the Lord in the north of Africa. You raise money to start a business there so that you can legitimately serve there and be there. As you're sent out, your names are changed and your exact location is only known by a few key people. You live in a climate where the temperature seldom goes below 30 degrees, is often in the 40s and occasionally hits the 50s and you actually get frequent hay fever because of these conditions. You minister among exploited Pakistanis, Indians, Sri Lankans, Bangladeshis and other people who often have years between visiting where they're working and getting to their home um, and they work in factories in oppressive conditions. If you're caught, you'll get thrown out immediately as will any of your followers. You send out newsletters, emails that have codes in them to indicate what God is doing, celebrations of new believers, prayer points and those sorts of things, and people contacting you must do the same. You put on a huge feast on December the 25th, just because. You've been in this place for 10 years, and you love being there, serving Jesus in this way. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Who, uh, who both this church and some of you individually... Um, have been contributing to their work. Jeanette and I had the privilege of visiting them in 2016 and just seeing the conditions and the heat and all that and and what they're doing. And they're about to come back for furlough over Christmas and will be speaking to us on February the 17th. So we actually do have, in a sense, a direct connection to the persecuted church. When we mention the topic of the persecuted church, our minds, of course, go straight to the TV set, don't they? To Boko Haram, to the burning of a, of a, a um, church in Pakistan, or the killing of Coptic priests and all those. Because we know that in many of the countries that coming to faith in Jesus, um, Trevor, you so well put with us this morning, the sacrifice for it, um, means they could be thrown out of the family, the village, being completely ostracized, or they must recant or die. They live in secrecy, they have meetings in secrecy with code words and things so that you can avoid people um, who aren't there coming to you. Getting caught can mean imprisonment, torture, isolation, action taken against not only you but your family and not just your nuclear family, perhaps your wider family as well. If you go on to the Open Doors website as it advertises Day of Prayer, you'll see in it guidance about how to pray today And this is what it says from an Egyptian pastor. Please do not pray for us. 
please pray with us. If you pray for us, you'll pray the wrong things. You'll pray that the church will be safe. You'll pray for persecution to cease. We're not praying for these things. We ask God for the salvation of Egypt. We ask that he would draw millions to Christ. We ask that we'll be bold and clear in sharing our faith with Muslims. And we pray that when the inevitable persecution comes, that we will not run away, that we'll be faithful in the persecution, even if it costs us our lives. Will you tell your friends to pray these things with us? With us. Okay, it's just a, a few facts and figures in around these things. As I said, 215 million Christians that form the bulk of the per- persecuted church, as far as researchers can measure. Each year, Open Doors put out a booklet that I meant to bring and forgot, but it's actually just a list of the 50 most dangerous countries to follow Jesus. And it measures us in six categories, violence and pressure in church life, national life, community, family life, and private life. And here is a map of those 50 countries. If you just look at that, the color scheme is red is for extreme danger, orange for very high, and yellow is for high. The top five countries in the world for persecution are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, and Pakistan. And Nikki and Joel always think of you when I think of Sudan, that um, the time you spent there, 2013, 12, was 2012. Um, And sadly, Sudan basically is involved in civil war and uh, it's said that in the last six years, 1.2 million people, uh, not just, uh, yeah, of religions that is not Islam, so all other ones have been slaughtered in the last six years. The causes of this pressure, firstly, it won't surprise us, Islamic extremism sorry, is the most dominant driver and is responsible in 35 of those 50 countries. Secondly is radical Hinduism and Indian nationalism. Thirdly is Buddhist nationalism. And fourthly is communism still in Asia and in China. A couple of facts about master, uh, martyrs. Sorry, Estimates of martyrs throughout history from AD 30 to 1900, they say approximately 14 million. From 1901 to 2000, that is last century, 26 million. 2000 onwards, approximately 160,000 each year. Amazing figures. One of our people has lived in a country during a time when the evangelical church was oppressed. Radu, I invite you to come up and share your experiences. Give him a welcome. As he comes. Bless you all. It's uh, it's a privilege. It's an honor, and also is a very very humbling moment to be here, stand here today, and together with you acknowledge what others was doing. For simple fact, they want to share the love of God with others. I was born in a golden communist era. I was raised by the parents 
which they try to hide, in fact, that God is dead. They'd say that God is dead, that God doesn't exist. I raise, I, I go to school, their school, what try to kill everything which is in us, in core of every single human being, to seek for the God, isn't it? In every single one, God put in our heart to seek God. In all misters, all these years, I was as a kid at school, and I say with a shame of myself, I was bullying some of the kids, which was on evangelical Christians' families. We think it's the right thing to do, what was wrong. And after that, as I grew up, my neighbor, which my parents always talk very bad about her, she was Christian, born again, and she took in hiding to her place and started reading story from the Bible and was so excited to hear all this story. And she started singing, it was so pleasant for me. And as a teenager, I go to the church with her. My parents was very upset. My school teachers was very upset with me. But, you know, like any teenager... Any kids want to do something which is against what parents ask you to do it, isn't it? They says, let's do it. They says, don't go. I says, no, I go there. But going there to the church, I had to say on my skin what others feel because they was born there. Now, today is a day of celebration. What we try to remember, we had communion today, isn't it? And make us all part of the same body, isn't it? Body of Christ. And together with us all around the world was others, we took communion, part of the same body of Christ. And what we decided in our church to do is as a part of the body of Christ to remember some brothers and sisters suffer for their faith. And how I say as a teenager going to the church, I start like it, and one morning, because in our village was a, quite a large church, according to their time, and um, people from other villages come around with a train to the, to the evangelical church, to the born-again church, because I'd say this in, in Romania, on most of the communist countries, we have an official church, which was Orthodox church. Romanian, by default, was Christian country. But nothing of being a follower of Jesus was saying on their time. And then the church, uh, uh, the state church was Orthodox church. Everything else was not accepted. This is what I want to make clear for some of you who don't understand what I'm saying. Now, standing in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, uh, outside the house, waiting for people to come to go to church, I saw the policemen on a village come across it and stop them. And there was among them around a few youth there, teenagers, some of them like you. And they go there and they ask them, where are you going? You turn back and go around, otherwise I'm going to arrest you. And they, you know what they did? They face them up. They start singing and they march through. I was so impressed. And he was so angry. Turn around, look at me. And he says, you are one of them, you go with them too? And guess what? I raised my hands and I say, says, no. I turn around. 
I go inside in the house. Because you know why? Because I feel too afraid. They lift my hands and they say I'm one of them. I was too afraid. This is what feel living in their country. I say nobody all this and I apologize to you all. When revolution started in 89, in 21st of December, I wake up, my wife was pregnant. I kiss her and I says, I go in Timisoara in the city because I want to be part of it. She pulled me back and says, don't go. I take out, get out, walking towards the, the, the uh, roads when someone with a car waiting, and I feel behind her eyes. I didn't turn around. I kissed her, and I knew what probably will be for the last time when I will see her, because I know people will kill at their time. But I didn't want to go back, knowing I let a pregnant wife at home I want to fight for my freedom. Think about for so many people who left their wife, their family, and still do so today. They let their family, they let their country, they let their everything. They go to preach the gospel in their countries for love of Christ. For love of Christ, they go to do all this. Can you imagine? I didn't turn my back around my head to see her because I know it. If I saw her crying, I will turn around. And I keep walking and I keep walking. I go in a car and then from the car I wrote, and she was still sitting in a door outside and looking for me. And after two days, I come back and everything was okay and the revolution was good and thanks God we are here today. And I spoke with some, some of them. After years when God don't let me stay there, I have in my heart frustration after that, what I, after I did what I did. I had my frustration. I had my doubt. I, what I did, I did wrong. And still I supposed to lift my hands and say, yes, I'm one of them. But I was too afraid, being a young, to stand up for what I believe. But the time is coming, and I spoke with the peoples, which, because simple fact, they were Christians, Born again, you are restricted for education. If you want to go to university, you couldn't go to any school because you come from the family which was not have the state religion or orthodox religion. You know what they did? They come along and they says, look, it has a cross. For the orthodox church, if I'm not sure how many New York Catholic church, they, they kiss the cross, isn't it? You know, they have a procession. Then they come along and says, you are a Christian, yeah, kiss the cross. Whatever you've done, Come back, you stay beside. Next one, next one, stay beside. Or simple selection why they do it. And so many people don't want to do this, to be in the front of the state religion. And then from then, they know, hey, their parents, your family is, is not a Christian, Orthodox Christian, then they couldn't go to university. You are, you are as a second-class citizen. And then... You're not allowed for any good jobs at that time. You couldn't choose what job you want to do it. What for? Because you believe in Christ. But even in their time, if you remember, 
And if you say, how, how beautiful was the day when you have a communion, isn't it? Did you feel the presence? Did you feel this morning, the presence of the Lord? I feel like here was a letter. And the angel of God come down. And soon, angel of God will come up. Bring our prayer to there, isn't it? Can you remember who had this dream? Yeah. Now, we had this beautiful time for, for communion. But at their time in Romania, if they want to have a communion, they go in the woods in the mi middle of winter. And uh, remember, in winter in Romania, we have sometimes minus 25 degrees. Sometimes one and a half meters snow. It's very hard, harsh condition to go there. They go in a secrecy to go there to, to be part of it. And they risk everything for Christ. They risk everything for Christ. And uh, this all end up in 89 when the communists fall apart. But God, through the, all this dark period, in a church was go stronger and stronger and closer to God. And even against all this, God was, says, well, time will come for freedom. Because I was born in Romania doesn't make me any special. Because you are born in a free country, New Zealand, doesn't make you special. Because all the people in Syria, Pakistan, whatever is the days, or whatever is, is all, 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 all this oppression, there's no special at all. What we can do today, we can pray and support them in our prayer. And this is my word. God bless you all. Amen. Cool. Okay, I'd like to, at this point, just invite us to get together in, in groups and pray for the persecuted church, um, remembering what the Egyptian pastor said of the things we should pray for. So I've, we've chosen six, which will come up behind us there, um, that we would pray for courage in absence of fear, for the miraculous, for opportunities to share, for fruit in the harvest, for powerful encounters with Jesus, and frequent re-empowering by the Holy Spirit. So just invite you, get, get into groups of two or three and just pray for those things. That'd be great. Thank you. Father, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pray. In fact, here in New Zealand, it's one of the only things that we can do. But thank you, Lord, that you're a God who hears all our prayers, and Lord, you are looking to strengthen your people in these countries. We just thank you, Lord, for them, for the example they show, for all that they are, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just encourage you throughout for the rest of the day, um, if you have spare moments, just to lift these people before the Lord again. Yeah. Cool. When we hear about the persecuted church and the actual or potential suffering that believers face can cause several reactions in us, can't it? Firstly, admiration for their courage, their steadfastness, their allegiance to Jesus, their commitment, um, their degree of comfort and joy in living under really oppressed conditions as they work out their faith. Secondly, we can find it challenging uh, or it leaves us with an uneasy feeling in regard to our own faith for exactly those same reasons that we admire them for, don't you think? I mean, I'm certainly challenged as I focus on them. So what are some of the characteristics um, that it would appear that believers in persecuted countries have? What do they exhibit? 
Firstly, they have a powerful love for for God and for who he is. Secondly, they have a ready acceptance that suffering is part of the journey, which is something we don't have to embrace so much, although there's no reason for it in the sense that Jesus said in John 15, 20, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. In John 16.33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In 1 Peter 4, dear friends, when, not if, but when, the fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised by it as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, As you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice so that you may rejoice with great joy in the revelation of his glory. And the one in Acts that we're so familiar with that does represent that so well. Acts 16.22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received those orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They'd been severely beaten. They must have been lying there in great pain of bruises and all those things, and they're singing to the Lord. A more modern-day Acts 16 comes from one that many of you have heard of, Richard Wormbrand, who was incarcerated in prisons for 14 years in Romania, as it was. It was where it was. But what he says, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, and so we accepted the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. (laughs) Isn't that stunning? Yeah. The thing in them, though, is that there's no sense that there's any grumbling at God for the circumstances they're living in. There's rejoicing in being considered to suffer for him, a real joy in it. Related to this is the sense that suffering is crucial in refining them, maturing them, building their inner man and purging the old man. It has a role in stopping them being half-hearted in any way. They treasure the word of God. And we've all heard stories over the years about Bibles being smuggled in or someone managed to get hold of the Gospel of Matthew or of Luke or something like that, or they even had one page of Scripture which they treasured so much. And one other thing that they're really good at doing is they memorize the Scripture because when the persecution comes, they end up in prison That's the resource, what's in their head. Fantastic. They're also renowned for their evangelism and spreading God's word and for their fervency in doing so. But they're also renowned for their joy. Renowned for their joy. A little bit like Ashley shared last week when she was in the pits, she was crying out desperately to God. The pain in those things didn't go away, but there was a joy in it, wasn't Ashley? And it's inexplicable, but it's there. And that's what these people enjoy in God as well. I think these people are amazing. I, I guess part of it can be that, that where they are um, in terms of 
you become a Christian in Iraq, you know the cost straight away, in a sense, as opposed to becoming a Christian in Upper Hutt. Although we do have one of our congregation who became a Christian in Upper Hutt last week, and that's just awesome as well. Yeah. Sorry for singing out. I should have warned you. Sorry, man. Yeah. But the cost thing, relative, is the difference. Yeah. So I guess, how should we respond to the characteristics that we see to those who serve in this way? And I think the only thing we really can do, sitting where we are right now and going forward, is just take a stock of ourselves, um, an honest appraisal of ourselves before God. Um, You know, love for God. Do you ever take time just to dwell on who he is? I've just finished reading a book that said, you know, you should practice every day just praising God for the great God that he is. No matter where you're at, where you are, just get into the practice of it. It always lifts you. Ourselves, how are we going in all the things that we are suffering? Jesus said that trouble does come to us all, but that God is with us in all of of our circumstances. Is it refining me? How am I doing with the word of God? Am I eternally focused? Am I a prayer? I long to see this church on fire for God. In each of my working days, I spend an hour in prayer for you and for me, asking God to touch you, to grow you, to meet you at your point of need, to open your eyes to his majesty, his beauty, his love, his purity, so that worship for him would tumble out of your mouths, your devotion to him would increase, that the battle with the enemy for surrender um, of of ourselves would be increasingly won. My dream is a family of believers more and more in love with him. Much of my prayer is that the Spirit would meet each of you, as I said, at whatever point or whatever incident or incidents have taken away some of your fire or your trust in him in any way. I pray that the word would come alive for you. It just has to. The word has to come alive for you. The wonderful creator of the universe with all the wisdom and power and all those things has his word there. It cannot be, it cannot be anything but alive and active. It has to be. So I just encourage you, and my prayer for you is it would just do that for you in many ways. And I also pray that you would establish prayer lives. The single biggest area of growth in my life in the last five years has been in prayer and I so recommend it. Is it always exciting? No. Am I able to get my mind at times to sit down and shut up? No. But I want to promise you that there are times of intimacy with God that I wouldn't swap for anything. It's just brilliant. Yeah. For those of you who are young, I pray for your destiny, your future, and, um, and your direction in an increasingly complex world. It's different for you guys. I know that. For the older people... I pray that you would never drop out of the race. Because the truth is you can't. You can't. He who began a good work in you will continue it till the day of Jesus Christ, and that is all in this world and in this life. So my encouragement to you is to get before God and just roll these characteristics over in your mind. Yeah. You just got to be honest with him. Be honest, you know. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to be part of every area of your life, and he will take you where you are now, and he will grow you. Um, It's so important that we see our lives as a journey of self-surrender into the purposes of God, just as those in the persecuted church have. I just want to say that 
if you've got things that are real blockages for you, um, you may need to do a Cleansing Streams course. Last week we had a Freedom Day and seven of our people were there and received significantly cleansing from what they had. Praise God, that's what it's all about, removing our blockages so we have more freedom in Him. Um, you may want to talk to one of the elders. We would love to pray with you, but also want to encourage you in your appraisal to go and talk to your Paul, your Barnabases, or your Timothys and those sorts of things as well. Yeah. Let's pray, eh? Father, thank you for the body of believers all around the world. Thank you, Lord, for the persecuted church, for their example of boldness and fearlessness, that they're so unarmored with you that enduring for you is a joy and not a burden. Lord, inspire us to do the same. Cause us to come before you to seek our part, to review ourselves for you, Lord. You know each of us utterly our blockages, our fears, our stuck points, as well as our strengths and our giftings, Lord. You take us where we are. You will lead us on. And I ask you, Lord, to lead us afresh in a new way that you, that we will know even more that you're sovereign and you're holy. Who you are is worth the entire surrender of our lives. Amen. God bless you. Just want to say to you, uh, just in passing, Perhaps some of you don't know that this church that we're in now was established at considerable cost to the founders, Hudson and Joan Salisbury. They were long-term members of a large but conservative church here in Upper Hutt. They personally encountered the powerful move of the Holy Spirit in the 70s. The church leaders weren't interested in it and actually considered it a heresy. But Hudson felt the impelling of God to start a church, and as they did, Every door in the other church closed to them. People I had been in fellowship with for 20, 25 years crossed the road and ignored them. And I was just talking to Trevor as well. He'd lost some friends for a while as well. Now that has changed, but in those first few years, Hudson and Jones Fellowship disappeared as they started in the things of God. Now, for those that don't know, as you know, Hudson didn't only start the church. He had an incredible zealousness for God that lasted right up into his mid-80s. How many of you at home have still got a DVD of one of the stack that Hudson gave to you as he copied things off? How many of you have got a booklet on some aspect of discipleship that that he wrote and and gave freely around to us all? He was regarded as an apostle all over New Zealand, a wonderful man, but he obeyed God's calling. He started a church and let let the spirit flow. And here we are, the recipients of that. Thank you, Hudson. Thank you, Joan. And thank you, Trevor, as well.